Good evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you once again for listening to a KD, Fifth Ward, Wildcat, and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how, how are you doing? Doing just well, doing just well. Doc, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing well. All right, um, let's get right into it. Let's talk about a couple of things. The last, oh, let's see when it took place, May 8th, the HBU men's basketball program received notice from the NCAA Committee on Academic Performance that it will not participate in the 2014-2015 postseason tournament due to uh, falling below the academic progress rate APR standards. Let's get into that because the interesting thing about it, and, and folks, coaches and school administrators have had problems with the APR scoring since it was instituted. Let me just read a bit from the press release because the headline that, that the Huskies for the article states, despite high grad rate, men's hoops affected by APR sanctions. Quote from uh, AD Athletic Director Steve Maniachi from HBU, quote, while our men's basketball program has achieved a very laudable graduation rate, we did not do an adequate job of monitoring those who, for whatever reason, were no longer actively competing on our roster. We respect the committee's decision and have put measures in place in order to prevent this from happening again. We are a proud we are proud of our men's basketball student athletes and how they are dealing with an unfortunate situation not of their making, end quote. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm going to lean on you and Doc to carry this part of the deal, but that's a little bit more. The HBU men's basketball program has a grad graduation rate of 82% during the past four-year period, but has an APR score of 913, which is below the 930 score required to participate in postseason tournaments. This year is the first year that the threshold increased from 900 to 930. In calculating the team's score, six of the eight deductions within the four-year period covered by this metric were from cases of student-athletes who had exhausted their eligibility and were no longer competing at HBU. No points were deducted from the program's current student-athletes who were all in academic, good academic standing. Not quote from coach, head coach Ron Cottrell. The NCAA stated intention of the minimum APR score is to be a reflection of a 50% graduation and the current national average graduation rate in men's basketball is 70%. As our program far exceeds these benchmarks, 82% now, our situation is a prime example that the APR measurement as it is currently constructed is not always a true reflection of academic success. Gentlemen, have at it. Doc, first thing that came across my mind was departmental, uh, departmental uh, compliance, athletic. Somebody needs to that. That's that's a, a job that can go sideways, or it can be it, it can be a help, or it can be a hindrance. But you, it, it's almost like that is a position that's required now. Uh, starting back what three, four years ago. Uh, I would have suggested it should have started at the beginning, but uh, smaller institutions that really didn't understand 
uh, how serious the academic progress rate was and really how to calculate it, what it went, meant in terms of losing practice time, losing hours, in terms of losing scholarships, and ultimately, as you see, postseason bans. But let's take a step back before we get into that, because some people may not be ultimately really familiar with APR. First of all, APR is the academic progress rate. It is the NCAA mathematical model, if you would, that calculates basically almost if you look at a percentage, but it multiplies for a thousand, so that's why you get these one three numbers there, like nine forty nine, or they say you might must be at nine thirty. You said seventy percent what they're striving for when it's equivalent after you do it. But the way you calculate APR is the fact that it is a term by term, or as we say in the academic arena, semester by semester, whether that's semesterly or quarterly, evaluation on eligibility and retention. There's two measures that you calculate. Each player that is getting some financial aid uh, is worth two points on a team. And they looked at those two points based on eligibility and retention. Eligibility is simply measured by is the person that is getting the financial fund, the um, athlete, if you would, is he eligible at that time? And quickly to go over there, what it means to be eligible. First thing that you do in college, everybody's familiar with that. You must pick a major. More than ever, it's important for athletes to pick a major early, pick one that they're really interested in, and stick with that major. In terms of switching majors like other students can do, that's no longer a real option for athletes. The first semester, you must complete 24 hours. After that, it goes a percentage scale, 40% towards the degree completion, 60% towards the degree completion, 80% towards degree completion. So if you're on a 120-hour graduate program to graduate with 120 hours, your sophomore year, you must be at 40% of 120 hours. The 123-hour program, you must be 40% of the 121 hours. So these programs that you see when you look at Houston Baptist, one thing that he tried to do, which is a good thing when you're trying to sell yourself of something that's negative, he reversed back to the graduation rate. And if the graduation rate that he's referring to is just for basketball, he wasn't very clear on that, whether he's talking about the basketball graduation rate or overall athletic graduation rate, which would be two composite numbers. So let's say for the good nature that he's talking about basketball graduation rate. That's a federal rate which measures a six-year period. So that's one thing. It's not apples to apples. And so the first principle I say with APR, I think it does pretty much what the NCAA says in regards to the play, it does give you accurate uh, information in terms of semester to semester and year to year over a four-year period. They also gave you why they did increase it to 930. Um, from that period, HBCUs were on a graduated scale, so they had to be at 915, 920 next year, 925, and then they'll hit the 930 mark uh, because of low resources, which were mostly HBCUs. There's some that were not outside of that. But the other part I would like to talk about is the fact that when you look at that graduation rate comparably, is that you also have to understand that they may have had kids that left the program and lost that point, and so they didn't get the retention point. But there's paperwork if you know what you're doing. If you can follow your kids, uh, you can get points back. You can also make sure that kids go to other institutions. If they're eligible when they go to other uh, institutions, 
you will get at least one of those two points back. Stop right there. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Let me read this real quick. This is another part of the release. How uh, can a program lose points on student athletes who are no longer participating? If a student athlete transfers to a school that is not a four-year institution or chooses not to attend school altogether, a student athlete transfers with less than a 2.6 GPA, That's right. but then graduates, a student athlete no longer participating on the team while still pursuing a degree fails to meet NCAA academic progress standards. So Which we just talked. So that's what happened to HB, HBU, right. most likely. So again, he tried to spin it in a way. Uh, which again, I can understand because it looks a little ugly, and then all your alumni people are calling you saying, "You know, what are you doing?" And so he wants to make sure that he keeping his job is keeping his job. So he's going to put that out there and suggest that one measure tells them this, and another measure does that. And that's why I wanted to get all the information out in regards to how you calculate it. Because they said they retention. they said they graduate for the men's team was eighty two percent. And so the only thing I can think about, he's talking about the federal graduation rate. And the federal graduation rate, one thing is it can be calculated in people on your team. So some people that are not getting aid in the federal graduation rate, you can put them in there and count that. So it's a different reflection, and plus it's over a six-year period. So two years back, when you had a different coach, different program level, NIA, calculated stuff a little different, had different eligibility, if you calculate those two years in that six-year period, those first two years can be higher, which means they get over overweigh the last three, four years where you're not very high, and you can still get that 80%, 86% level. That's why I was so fixing to go. the numbers if you <coughs> don't know what you're looking at. That's why I was fixing to go back. The numbers, but the numbers will be different based on what you're calculating. Seeing as HBU recently moved from NAIA up to Division One, those kids that were in, that pro, uh, in the program that graduated from HBU let's say one year, two years remaining, they came from a Division One institution, tracked how much were they counted against either the school they didn't left to or with HBU as they were coming in, uh, moving up. Well, if they, if they come in, at some point, the clock is going to count. So what the NCAA looks at is a four-year period, and they really don't care all they say is whoever's on getting financial aid assistance in terms of an athletic scholarship, they must be in your calculation, in your tabulation for that four-year period. Now, there is one other component. You can beat this in if you can do a two-year period, and you can show over a two-year period that your score is 940, and you can still be eligible. So they allow you to look at four years total data or also a two-year rolling period. It's a little higher threshold, but it does allow you, if you're doing things and you had a bad coach that didn't do things right, bring in a solid coach. They don't want you to necessarily be punished if you're doing the right things in terms of recognizing that you had a coach that wasn't dedicated to both on-the-court and off-the-court successes in terms of academic and athletic, then you can still find a way um, to show that you're doing the right thing. And that's a two-year period at 940 versus the four-year period at this time at 930. But essentially... They look at that period. So when they come in, once you show that they were eligible based on NCAA guidelines, that's the number they're going to look at. So if, even if you had a kid that came in under NAIA rules and they were not eligible, they're not going to punish you for that. Because all they're looking at is the kids at the time, four years ago, that you had on your books, that were eligible to play basketball for your program, 
based on NCA guidelines, and the clock starts there. Now, if you didn't retain those kids, basically you put them kids off the team as a coach, and that's why they say it's really important now to have a compliance officer because coaches tend to look more at winning, and if they think a kid is poisonous, as they would say in their vernacular, or doesn't have a work, work ethic, something of that nature, oftentimes they like to put them off the team. But APR says it's no longer good. You can't just put them off the team. Uh, you need to strongly look, and if you are going to wave them off the team, you need to make sure at the time you put them off the team that they're at the 2.65 grade point average. You need to make sure that you're helping them go to another school to get in school or what have you. So no longer can you just kind of throw kids by the wayside. So that part of the APR, I celebrate. And I do uh, give the NCAA some credit in terms of what they're doing. Now, what you're starting to find out, what researchers are starting to find out, is that the APR needs to look at some other areas. It's going to be hard to kind of push this issue. Is you have this thing called clustering, where you'll find a lot of athletes in certain majors at an institution. And those majors tend to be uh, eligibility friendly or retention friendly. That's the best way I can say it. Uh, you know, some you sure coded it, Doc. You sure coded it. You sure coded Doc. Yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay a highly qualified professional. All right, then. I'll, leave, so, I'll let you go now. I appreciate it. And so when you look at that factor, there, there are some serious issues in terms of clustering. And the question is, are these kids just naturally driven to these programs? If they are, then as anybody would say, you shouldn't do anything about it. But there's starting to be questions about coaches and uh, academic advisors or athletic advisors pushing athletes into certain degree programs, and I think that's a terrible thing. Sometimes these are degrees that do not provide a great monetary value on the degree. Again, if you're doing what you love to do, everybody should have that choice to graduate and whatever, and you try to find a job just like anybody else out there. But if you're forced into a pigeonhole or if you're recruited by an institution that has a higher level threshold and they let you in, uh, which a lot of people are talking about this affirmative action uh, in terms of entering students on the academic side, I see affirmative action on the athletic side. Oftentimes, when you get letting uh, athletes in uh, that academically are not prepared for the rigors of that institution, I think that you're setting that athlete up for failure, and I think they're using that as a scapegoat in a way to really devalue, uh, dehumanize an athlete, and really set them up. Uh, from the framework and use them, uh, disenfranchise them and use them monetarily. So those are concerns I have with APR with some of the issues. On one side, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think there's still a long way we need to go. So I need to make sure that was on the table. Well, and HBCUs, and that's why they say low resource. That, that's why HBCUs I was continue to get hit hard. Uh, I have a data sheet, Mississippi Valley State baseball, football of the football team. You had like nine schools, five of them were HBCUs. Mm -hmm. uh, two of them were Florida AM, Mississippi MEAC, Valley. Which are Florida AM, as you're saying. And uh, Savannah State, both mm -hmm. in the MEAC. And then two, I mean, three, three in the SWAT. In the SWAT, Mississippi Valley, Prairie View, Alabama State University. I'm, I'm uh, disappointed by the Prairie View as a Prairie View grad, I must say that. That's why I say folks will get ugly phone calls because people will be like, they don't like to be on the list. Sure. Um, which brings out another point, though. A lot of people will question why the rim, the basketball coach on the inside, keep his job from Prairie View last year. 
one of the things that I got was the fact that uh, when you had all this negative things coming out in regards to academic progress rates, uh, RIM on the men's basketball team has been able to keep a very high threshold, one of, one of the highest in the league, and last year's my understanding he hit the highest. So while he may be starting a little bit on the basketball side, he's been able to do it on the academic side. And I do agree that you need some credit for that. Um, so on men's basketball, you had two HBCUs that suffered penalty, Alabama State out of the SWAC and FAMU out of the MEAC, which means uh, dubious distinction back when Southern got it a while back when they had, and Grambling had both sports. You see that again with two HBCUs, one out of the SWAC, Alabama State, men's basketball and football, and then you see it also out of the MEAC with Florida A&M football and basketball. That's probably why the athletic director was dismissed and also why the men's basketball coach was dismissed. And um, if the football coach can't make some changes, I'm sure that he's going to be in trouble as well. The Rattlers, both of them were alums, so I think that was a hard decision. But you see how serious this issue is uh, from that. And excuse me, in men's basketball, there also was Norfolk State, so you had three HBCUs, two out of them at Norfolk State and family. Well, out of the Big 12, biggest name was uh, Oklahoma State. They're losing a uh, practice day a week. Yeah, there's what you call... Let's talk about this as well, because today, level Wednesday, two, the one, NCAA since sent out the uh, press release, their annual press release, uh, touting basically a uh, review of APR for the 2012-2013 season, and it's a recap. And basically, it, uh, the headline is, student-athletes continue to achieve academically, and the latest four-year Division One academic progress rate, APR, improved 2 points to 976. And as Doc and Wack had touched on, there are three levels of uh, penalty. Level one, Penalties focused on practice restrictions. This is where HBU is one of those. They're part of this level one. Penalties focused on practice restrictions, allowing teams to use that time to focus on academics. Teams facing this penalty lose four hours and one day of practice time per week in season, replaced with, with academic activities. This year, 42 teams face this level of penalty. And HBU and Lamar, another team from the Southland men's basketball, are part of that. That's why you probably seen that coach this year. Mm-hmm. So now, and then level two, uh, actually, level one, I see uh, also University of Central Arkansas. They're also a Southland team, aren't they now? Yes. So that's three teams in the, in the Southland, okay? Level two penalties, uh, penalties include the level one penalty, and a reduction of four hours of practice time out of season replaced with academic activity. This level also includes the elimination of the non-championship season for spring football. This level also includes the elimination of the non-championship season for spring football. Teams without non-championship seasons face a reduced number of contests. This year, 14 teams fall in this category, and they are Men's golf for Alabama A&M, Alabama State's football and men's basketball, Charleston Southern University's men's indoor track and field and the outdoor track and field. How about that? FAMU's men's basketball, Florida International men's basketball, uh, Prairie View 
football, Savannah State football, University of New Orleans women's basketball. Now, the final level, level three, the penalties include all level one and level two penalties, plus a menu of potential additional penalties, which can include financial aid reductions, additional practice and contest restrictions, coach-specific penalties, including game and recruiting restrictions, restricted access to practice for incoming students who fall below certain academic standards, restricted membership, and potential multi-year bans on postseason competition. In 2014-15 season, one school faces this level of penalty, and they are uh, in basketball at the University of New Orleans. Doc, let's talk about Southern University. All teams at Southern are currently ineligible for postseason competition due to unusable data. Now, what does that mean, Doc? Doc, yeah, I was going to ask that because we, the three of us had a there was a source of contention between the three of us. We didn't get really heavy into it at the time, but wondering why there was a redo of the teams coming into the swag basketball tournament. Because we all knew and had read, and it's been out there publicly, been said, and everybody, it's all been known that if the, the tournament had been, had been ran on schedule like it, it had been set up, it would have been ha- at least half the teams wouldn't have made it to the tournament. I can understand the money side of it because that's just who folks are. That's, that's what, the, uh, what powers that be, the administrators, and administrators, that's what they look forward to. But at the end of the day, when you get a report like this, and your whole athletic department is on report, not secret report, but on report publicly, at what point does the alumni not stand up in arms and says, I want to cut it off right now? I mean, not not cancel the program, but I want to cut off what's causing the problem. I think that's a really good question. Uh, to be honest with you, what I know, understand is Southern, I think you have a group of alumni that really don't understand the academic progress rate that we talked about earlier in terms of how it's calculated. And Bouchard has done, they believe all this damage was done before he got there. So Dr. Bouchard that's at Southern as the athletic director actually just got an extension. In terms of work, so they they are suggesting that the information that they have put in recently shows that all their students are doing well academically. But what happens and what got Southern in the situation they are in is the fact that every year the CAP committee, which is the Committee on Academic Performance, which really governs all APR academic progress rates. Okay selects, randomly selects different institutions of the 300-some Division One programs that they do an audit on. And so they come into your institution and they check from the athletic office to the registrar's office and they really do a traditional audit and they look if the same information is in one place as in the other. And so as they do this, they pull out a couple of folders and they look for transcripts to see your org chart and see your information, your rosters 
and just check. But when they went through it, they couldn't find a semblance of equal or accurate data so they could do their analysis. So they went back and they told Southern at the time, it's like, we can't analyze what you have, so you need to send us some information. They didn't understand when they said send them the information that they wanted them to actually redo, recertify, in my opinion, everybody they had. They just sent more information. All they were doing was sending more bad data. And so after a while, they didn't see it was like, it's obviously y'all really don't have it together. So that's when they put the penalty and it came a big deal. It was right before the end of the season for basketball. As you talked about the tournament. That's when they said Southern is ineligible in all sports. But the focus at that time was on basketball, men's and women's, because they were in season. But essentially, when they put it out, it was all sports. So that's when the SWAG had to get together, and it was three teams that were ineligible, and Southern was made the fourth team. And there was questions about what was the contract or and whatever. So the president's dealing with the issue, whether it was with the Harris County Sports Authority and with the NCAA, tried to come up with something that made as many people as happy as possible. And they that's when they decided to bring all teams. But to succinctly get to your point of Southern, they're in a similar position that Texas Southern was three years ago when they had to recertify their data after an audit. They were fortunate that they brought in Mike Maletta, who was very familiar with the NCAA and knew, understood exactly what the NCAA was looking for. So it took them a while, but they recertified all the kids. Now, unfortunately, what they found out that a lot of those kids were ineligible and things of that nature. So then they had to go in front of the NCAA. They had to show what they found out. And lucky for them is that they were able to make a claim that they were moving in the right direction with essentially Mike Maletta, which they were very comfortable with the last two data years being accurate. But they still gave them a penalty. Well, that's essentially where Southern is. They're going to have to go to the CAP committee and try to show them that they least understand how to calculate the data. And then they also have to show that they have a formula in place and an organization in place that where the rec, I mean, the entering people in the college, the registrar's office is working intimately with the athletic department. So all your data is usable. And so that's the biggest thing they have to show. And I'm not sure if they truly understand that. My understanding that they... They believe Dr. Bashard is taking all that in place, and he's trying to make sure that those above him in leadership positions are going to put the financial need where it needs to be to make sure that you have enough people in compliance, you know, certifying officer that is outside of athletics but is responsible for certifying all students in the registrar's office. You need to do things like that to make sure that this works. And so it's in my opinion, it's very embarrassing for Southern. And you said it alone, when essentially they're telling you that your data is, is so bad that we can't even calculate what APR you have over the last four years. And Doc, I, I find that... Once they start digging, they take it back. I, I find that, you know, it's, when I hear that and I listen to you, it's, it's a sad state of affairs of where somebody in position, not so much 
hadn't forgot what they needed to do. It's, it's almost with a no care, uh, uh, we just doing business as usual and then we'll go and throw our stuff on the. It could be. Uh, on, on I mean, the, they um, could, they could have been indifferent toward the NCAA. It could be they really understand what the NCAA was I, requesting. I still, yeah, I still come from the point. I really think people were truly working hard. But just didn't understand. They just didn't understand. They, they'd really need to yeah. ask Dr. Charles McClellan at TSU what he did and what he did to fix it. That out. Because it's going to take two people. One this, of the things that is that he has been frustrated with in the flat is in different manners that oftentimes we operate too much in silos instead of trying to work more with each other and saying that this is what we're doing well and he's talking about both on the academic and athletic side mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he can't quite get his constituents, other presidents and chancellors in the SWAC and to some degree in the MEAC to understand that we need to share some of these ideas. Yeah, a rising tide floats all boats. Right. And so he's tried to put out that he said that he would allow Dr. Charles McCullen to do that. Dr. Charles McCullen and uh, President Rutherford have said that they would allow Mike Maletta to even go to the SWAC office and help the institution. But I think a lot of it, unfortunately, is sometimes you get people that are too prideful to understand that they need help and don't want to ask for it. Let me, let me, let me say, let me get the, let me read the, uh, cause I will have more information on my, my, uh, men's and women's hoops blog detailing the scores, multi-year rates for the Houston area schools. Uh, hopefully Thursday, let's say Thursday, Thursday or Friday, later on this week for sure. But, you can go to the NCAA website and they have a searchable database where you can pull up your favorite school, your your alma mater, and see their APR scores in yeah. s- specific sports. I'm going to look at the SWAG men's basketball. Like I'll pull up women's basketball in, in a second. But the multi-year rate for the SWAG schools, and this is uh, includes the last four years, 2012-2013 season going back, three, three seasons prior. Alabama A&M. 945. Alabama State, 851. They have level one, level two penalties and postseason ban. Alcorn State, 893. Gramley State, 886. Jackson State, 951. Mississippi Valley State, 866. Prairie View, 945. TSU, 970. Purple score is 1,000. Keep that in mind, listeners. And then Arkansas Pine Bluff, 904. One thing I would add to is you pointed out that in Texas Southern University alums and administration get a big kudos from it. I told you that HBCUs that are also listed as low resource institutions on a graduated plan, so they were able to be at 915 and then 920, 925 as they move up to the 930 mark. Every uh, sport at Texas Southern is above the 940 mark. Um, so they're above the threshold that they have to meet for the following year. So and their APR, the men's basketball APR for the 2012-2013 season is 953, to Doc's point. Now, my next question is, how much of the sliding scale going for- forward is will it move beyond the way it is right now? They'll eventually have to get to the 930 mark like everybody else. They just had a four-year period with them. 
So it's every four years. The, the, the no, they, they'll move up basically five points a year until they get to nine thirty. Oh, okay. Okay. Nine twenty-five, and then they have to be at nine thirty, just like everybody else. So they had they had a couple of additional years. All the teams that were uh, listed as low resource institutions, because they would say there was a component when they studied it that showed the programs that were uh, listed as low resource. They haven't talked about how they calculated that, created the calculation. You can't get that information. I've tried. It's not readily available, so I'm going to have to go through some of my sources to get it. And I think I have some ways, but i got to be careful uh, with that. But I'll get the information. Um, but at the time, there is a way they calculated, and based on the calculated, um, all but maybe one or two HBCUs went in. You had a couple of institutions in the Southland that are measured by it. And so you have a few institutions around the country. I think you even had one... Um, like Compass, not Compass USA, but Wax School that was in some category of a limited resource. Let me say, say this since I am a University of Houston alum, proud of it. The men's basketball APR multi-year was 946, but for the 2012-2013 season, which is the most recent for the NCAA uh, tabulates, was 979. And that's kudos to James Dickey and everybody over there in uh, academics. Wildcat, Doc, there is one school, 2012-2013 you, season. You, you fit in with some, with some one, one your American Athletic Conference school that had a multi-year rate of a perfect score on men's basketball. Who do you think it is? Actually, two schools, multi-year rate of 1,000. Who do you think they are? Men's basketball in the athletic. You talking about the, 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 the athletic where, the, conference right now? Where the, the, right now? The landscape of, of what right now? Is right now? Okay. Uh, you said two schools. Yes. Graduation rate, multi-year rate, perfect one thousand. You know, <laughs> and I think one of them for sure would surprise the listeners. Louisville. Is one. That's one. Yes. Why am I, I just, that's not a surprise. I don't think that's a surprise. And, and, and I kind of like I was I was I was teetering on on, on, on yes. that one. Who do you who uh, do you think is the second one? Now, the second one I got to think a little bit. Um, and that's looking with the landscape like it is right now with all these state schools involved. Uh, wow, men's basketball. Doc. Better guess. You better wait. You're off the quiet over there, Doc. You're not going to guess. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't imagine. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. Because I, I know Louisville was, 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 was in the process of uh, changing, changing some things years ago and all to like get to that point. Memphis. Wait a minute. Hold up. Memphis. Yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up. Pastor, head coach Josh Pastor and wait, his wait, Memphis wait, wait, Tigers. Multi-year rate of 1,000. Get out of here. One thousand. And the only reason, I, the only reason I'm, I, is I didn't think about them. So that means consecutive years of one thousand. Is because he's only been in that job what three years now, if that long? A, a, oh, a, three or four years, yeah. One, and I'm looking at one cycle. So that means that apparently, Calipari was actually bringing in somebody that was going to school and going to class on a regular basis before he left. Am I, am I wrong? To a point, yes, but also I go with Doc's point earlier, what he said about how they got some points back. Because I, I think 
if guys go to the NBA, they don't count. Right. So yeah, those don't count. They go to the NBA, they don't they don't they don't count toward APR. Yeah. Really? So oh, yeah. oh, okay, now uh, not even just NBA. If they go overseas too. Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay, why not? Uh, that's one people have a problem with APR because because a lot of people want to use the federal rate because you can't do all that. In my opinion, the reason that the NCAA created the APR rate is because the federal rates are so low. So they wanted to create another measure so they could make people believe that they were serious about it. that Memphis four years. Josh been at Memphis four years. Yes. For academic progress. And what they did is they made sure that there were a lot of data that wasn't included, which were kids that would be eligible. Mm -hmm. So again, I told you you get part of them points. Right. And so that's where you can get it. And if you can show that they graduated, you can come back, get some points back later. Uh, kids go to pros. They're not calculated in APR. So that is, that's that's the reason why it was actually created in such a way that it never was intended to measure that. It was simply to measure so they could put out there in the marketplace that they were pushing kids towards graduation and they were retaining kids. And that's why when you look at the statement, it talks about the fact that this is intended to do what it is. And so that's why I said I have to give them some credit because you got to start somewhere. But there's no fool's goal for me. I know exactly what they're doing and how they calculate. And I told you some of the issues they have with right. testing. I'm listening. I told you some of the issues you have with, in terms of allowing kids to transfer away and go, go pro and they're not in the numbers, which gives you one glimpse in terms of what you're doing with kids. And obviously I do agree if a kid has a chance to go pro, they need to do that. But you can't tell me that that shouldn't be calculated in terms of institution graduation policy in terms of some measure. So basically the APR measurement is like those kids that go pro don't even exist. Exactly. And, and I got a me personally, I got a problem with that. I mean, I, that's just me now. That's and, and, I tell you. So, so you that's why we, we that's why we have these podcasts for Doctor. I, I got it. Share the, the, the like, and you didn't even realize that the Gold Pro didn't count toward the APR. Yeah, that that, that bothers me. Now, right let, there. And let's flip it around and do the women's basketball in the American. Not one school has a perfect score of a thousand. And women, and, have, and that's probably. I mean, there's a couple of things there. I'm sure women don't necessarily have the aspiration to go pro. They can't go pro early with the rules. Plus, you have women that tend to go to school and take it more serious because they know they're less likely to go to pro. So there's not a lot of uh, dreaming out there, a false expectation. I'll call it that way because everybody should be able to dream. But there's not a lot of false expectation. So you tend to have women that are a lot more serious. So they tend to take their majors a lot more serious. So they tend to go in tougher majors. So while they're doing maybe doing better in terms of their overall graduation rate, the calculation in terms of matriculation and things of that nature may be a little more difficult in the overall landscape. And I think that's an excellent point that you made when you juxtapose what's going on on the men's side versus the women's side when all our data sources tell us that women are a lot more serious in terms of their schooling. And it's reflected in their six-year federal graduation. Check Conference USA. When you, when you, it's I sure will. I'm kind of confused here. I'm trying to pull up and the U of H women. They have the lowest multi-year APR in the conference at 934. But the link hmm. that goes to, to, to drill down the information, we may need to move down here. There we go. I need to 
women's sports. Women. We get that. We get that. We get that. We get that. APR for this 2012-2013 season, which showed you if their multi-year APR was 934, showed you how bad it was prior to 2013. Right. If it, you had 970, 12-13 season. So they've done some work. But like I said, listeners, you can go to the NCAA website, ncaa.org, and do a searchable database. Use all the information and search to find your modern and, and sports and, and things of that sort. But since the Wildcat requested it, I know, and like I said, because I did it last year. I do this every year. I do a blog write-up about the Houston area schools and, and their APR. And I know last year, Rice, women's basketball had a perfect score. If I, I believe. I'm not sure about the fellas, but I'll take it real quick here. I know that, the fellas uh, didn't have a perfect score. I know Rice women had a perfect APR of 1,000. I want to say it's been more uh, more than one year that they did it. But the Conference USA, multi-year rate, Rice Owls, APR, 978. Uh, on the men's side. Oh. On the men's side. Okay. And uh, baseball, 12-13 was 1,000. Basketball, 972. Women's side, uh, let's see, women's basketball, once again, was 1,000. Multi-year rate, 1,000. Past season was 1,000. So, now, Coach Greg Williams may not be winning a lot of basketball games, but he's got a team doing, a, doing well. And, on, and I think that's you indicative know. also with Rice that you talk about in terms of the front door and what they require their athletes and their coaches to recruit. So there's, there's a direct reflection in terms of your willingness and your need to win versus your institution's overall general administrative requirement and what that is for the athletes. And I think that's a hidden thing that's not talked about enough out there because you're setting up athletes for failure. And in my case, a lot of them are African-American. And so I think that's something that is very sensitive. And I think, to be honest, there's a lot of African-Americans, particularly coaches, that don't want to deal with this issue because they're singing the same song that you're giving these young men an opportunity. I think it's a false dream. I think it's a false opportunity when you set somebody up in a situation where they're entering into classes where the average uh, SAT score is 21 and they're doing 1,700. Right. Uh, There's a different expectation on the professors. Uh, And so although there's a lot of things that you're giving the student-athletes to help them try to curve it, I really think you're asking for a great deal of difficulty, particularly when you know, as y'all follow sports, how much time those coaches require these athletes to put in the time, which goes back to that Nebraska, I mean, that Northwestern issue in terms of students being labeled as employees. Right. They spend so much time. So the realistic opportunity for them to have success it's just not there. And people just circle this buzzer and they hide all this information and they gerrymander these young men, particularly in the sport of basketball and football, let's face it, to the standpoint that um, they're not having a great deal of success. And you look at this in terms of graduation rate. We've seen it by the data. Let's, let's get out of the classroom onto the field of competition. Two things. 
uh, HBU men signed 6'9 Josh Ibarra today to National Letter of Intent. Tuesday, they signed 6'3 guard from the uh, Dallas area, Plano East. 6'3 guard Trey Patterson to a, an NLI. Uh, U of H women's basketball coach Ron Huey got his first signee. 5'7, 5'8, 5'9. Different sources on the internet say different things. Mariah Mitchell, guard from McKinney High School. Uh, let me read this. Where's my get, six get, foot get your thoughts on this block. Get your thoughts on this doc. Quote from Coach Huey, and I have this on my women's hoops blog. Quote, Mariah is going to be a culture-changing kid. No doubt about it. Where? She's a kid who has a great work ethic on and off the court. Her attitude is fantastic, and she comes from a great family. She's a natural-born leader and has a relentless attitude for winning. Where is my six-foot, 5'11", six-foot ball-handling guard? Jessica Palmer says she's right here on the team, Wildcat. Where is <laughs> my 5'11", six-foot ball-handling guard that's going to change things? Okay, we'll talk, we'll talk, we have plenty of time to talk about that. <laughs> Uh, Coach Huey on on Tuesday also. Well, I I had no I had no answer to that. I'm just saying she's a five nine guard. I'm just reading what they they sent out. Uh, Coach Huey has completed his staff. He hired Ty Dillard, assistant coach. She played at Texas. Was assistant coach at Southern Cal, uh, Mississippi this past season. She joined the staff. She played in WNBA Silver Stars. Um, on the 12th, the director of basketball operations. Coach Huey named Elena Lee from Madison, Houston, Madison High School to join the staff. And she was at, I believe Elena was at Kansas the three previous years before joining Coach Huey's staff. So the staff is a solid staff. And I commend him for that. Y'all look like us. Can they recruit? So we'll see how. The ball players. You know, just throwing it out there. We'll see how some parents may say, um, I don't see anybody that look like my child on this staff. Well, how head coach, how can you go, it, it, it uh, looks you go, like your child. No, 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 no. I'm saying everybody on the staff looks like us. Hey. So if a, if a parent who does not look like us has a question, how are y'all going to relate to my child? You know what? That's, that's the, it's out there. Some parents may oh, have yeah. that question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Because you and I have had, had conversations and all with uh, assorted uh, coaches on the, uh, especially on the women's side, whether head coach or assistant. Parents now ask a lot of questions when they go in on, on home visits about the staff. Particular I mean, they, on the, particularly on the women's side, they just ask. I think it's I think it's good that they ask. I think they should ask. I, I would like to see more on the men's side ask those questions in terms of what is the culture of the institution, rather than what you're gonna give me and, right. and, and where my I think son plays. Also, ask uh, what is the graduation rate? What major opportunities do I have in terms of what majors can I take? Can I make employability when I'm in these majors? Legitimate questions. On campus. I'm not talking about that in the uh, not Rudy world. Questions. I'm talking about can Serious I become questions. a Willis Wilson, be a, a, a student, an athlete, and come back and be a coach? Is, is that an opportunity that uh, sits in my son's face? Yeah, and for that one, you don't necessarily have to ask. You just look in the regular book and see how many have been there to just find out that answer. But I think that's a serious answer that you want to know. And at least if they're not head coaches, how many um are top coaches in terms of assistants? Yes. And how many have been promoted and to where they've been interviewing for jobs? And then I also want to look in the front office in terms of associate athletic director. 
uh, individuals that are in your office that are marketing people uh, that are sports information. So I want to know in terms of what opportunities are out there and what have you done for your athletes in terms of learning, uh, earning jobs after they graduate? What is the job completion rate for athletes? Those are the questions I would suggest uh, that if you can share with people or if you're a parent yourself or a child, hopefully those are some questions you would consider as you go into the recruiting phase. And most coaches are going to find out real quick. They're going to go into office, and unfortunately, if we want to look at it, most of them are asking the questions in terms of who's in a position, what type of playing time I'm going to get, which are not bad questions, but I'm saying make sure you have the full gamut of questions because the coach is going to look directly at you, and their sole job is to try to get you on campus. But once they find out what is important to you, that's what they're going to sell you. Exactly. So if you don't ask these tough questions, they're not going to give it to you. We're a little bit long in the podcast to get to this point, but Doc, who are you and how can folks find you on the internet? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. You can find me on the internet. Um, I'm at the H Har- the Houston Roundball Review, excuse me, hdhrr.com. Got a little excited there. During the basketball season, I'm on the college sporting news during the football season where I give HBCU updates. I do an HBCU poll ranking system. To give you a latest and greatest in terms of the HBCU, the top 10 at the Division One level, uh, which is my major division. I also do it for mid-major division. So as we get ready and hot and heavy, those are some places you can look for me over the season. Uh, I do other radio sports analysts, if you would, as the sports professor, where I come in and talk about the HBCU sports. And during the summer, you'll see me talking a lot more about the business side of sports since we kind of get a break from your traditional uh, sports segment of the summer. Also give information as you just heard in terms of baseball. We'll give you an update on the SWAC tournament. And I'll do that quickly now since we you, you sure, know go ahead. before we move on. Alcorn State defeated Texas Southern five to four in ten innings. So Texas Southern is the losing bracket now. Alabama A and M continues to show that they're a program on the ride. They defeated Prairie View and eleven to five. First time in school history that Alabama A and M has won a game in the tournament. Well, kudos for them and that first year coach who's getting it done. Cullivan uh, down there Prairie has a new stadium, so hopefully they'll be able to get some recruits out there because it looks like he's needed. But remember, he just won a championship two years ago in the tournament, so I think he's doing pretty well. We don't see him on the APR list, so <laughs> those are some <laughs> things that you need to look. He's got the thing working in his favor. Yeah, so he's gonna need to use that as he continues to build that program. But I like what Cullivan is doing down there. Also, like what Coach is doing here, uh, so hopefully he continues to do it over here. When I say here, I'm talking about Texas Southern University. But as I finish off and tell you more about who I am, again, I tell you I'm Texas Southern University Professor of Sports Management. I had the chance to write the curriculum, so if you need information on the sports management program at Texas Southern University, it's a BS, a Bachelor of Science in Sport Management. We are looking to do a master's program soon as we get it. I'll let you know for those that want to come back and get a master's on that side. Considering we would like to be the first HBC program with the doctoral program, it's my long-term goal. Social media platform. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A, C-A-V-I-L, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A, C-A-V-I-L. If you like social issues in regards to sports, if you like business issues on sports, 
I really suggest you follow me because I put out my own information. And when I come across it from a lot of resources I have, I also put that out there. So you can know intimately, not just to cheer about your team, which is a good part of sports and follow it, uh, which I do myself, but also like to really understand the business side. Why do people make the decisions they make? And I try to share that information so you kind of get the backdrop. Wildcat, I am the fifth Ward Wildcat, the college sports reporter. You can find me on the internet uh, platforms, Twitter, Blogger, Facebook, Blog, um, uh, and YouTube at AKSV, DCSR, and JL Woodley 1. It's been a good day. Come on, man. You're it's not going to talk about, uh, you've been busy the last few days. Last oh, now, uh, you ready for me to get to get into that point? Two things. One, the city has two softball programs headed off to the Women's College World Series. That's big. Now, uh, and if you go to my blog, uh, which is, which is AKSVDCSR, blogspot.com, you will see an interview with Coach, uh, Kyla, uh, Kyla Holos, U of H, uh, Cougars Women's, uh, softball, uh, uh, program. Well, we, you, you, I was surprised pleasantly that they got into the tournament. Now, so, so was she. Because, oh, she admitted that in the, in the interview? She, because they, when they lost Thursday to Rutgers in the first we round were, of the tournament, we were hurt. Basically, it was brought down to, interview was short, and we talked about off-season, when they, where they were, when they were going to meet, and kind of like moving to a, a recruiting next mode. Yeah, next, next step. step. So they can get in the so, uh, uh, next year. Right. She, she was wow. looking at replacement. You know, what she's got coming back, what she's holding over, so you know, what were they losing? Oh, yeah. And she said some, some, some things had to happen. Three coaches that I talked to that Thursday basically said the same thing. Louisville would be the deciding factor on whether they got more than two teams into the tournament. Lo and behold, they got four teams in. South Florida, Louisville, uh, UCF, and U of H. I think what really did them a lot, of, a lot of good is the fact that you, you have that new regionality right. that the NCAA likes to use, and with the conference being so spread out, that you have solid teams, not, maybe not the top teams, right? Obviously, Louisville was, but so that really is a benefactor for them when they're looking to keep teams in certain pods. You got a certain threshold; they can get the balance. And it's interesting how that differs from men's basketball tournament, how they treated the American on the fella side in hoops. Right. Because you would just, everybody assumed SMU was getting in, right. and they didn't. So, so it's a different thought process for each of Who's the other Houston area team now? Get to the tournament. Oh, yeah, I, I, I got to shut No, and trust me, I am so happy yeah. for Coach, Coach Barker. Yeah. Because of the fact he's worked hard to get the program to And what point. school is that? That is Texas, Texas Southern. University in the heart of Third War. Yeah. The Tigers. This is a, a program and like you said, you have to give Walker a lot of credit. And this is this a young program. program. Have, this is a young program. Yes, this, 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 very this. young program. But, this, but in terms of what they do, all you obviously know there's a oh, yeah. issue. Oh yeah. But they don't even have a campus stadium. And, and in terms they're of playing on a public field. I mean a real public field. Yeah. And to recruit 
to even be able to perform against other swag schools. And that's why he always would have some problems in the tournament. He was very strong in terms of where he finished the last three years, number one on the Western side, respectively. But he would have major problems going in the tournament, particularly against Mississippi Valley. Finally beat down this demon this year. He defeated Mississippi Valley in the championship game to earn that bid to the tournament. So, as you say, Coach Barker, a lot of kudos for him, what he did. The current assistant coach, the past assistant coach now that is a head coach in HISD. He helped build this program. Mm-hmm. So a lot mm-hmm. of people have put a lot of work in this team with uh, Barker. Did. And one of the, the surprises um, through this past week. And they're headed to Lafayette. Yeah. Also, University of Texas is headed. That they're not in Lafayette. They're not hosted. Um, Lafayette, they are a perennial yeah, they top ten program. They've always got pitching. That yeah, they've always got. It is a surprise in terms of they're probably the best, of Texas. Best Texas program in this, in this area. And and for that fact, once again, Baylor has moved them out of the picture. You know, this is the U of H is headed to Waco to play. Um, and Texas Southern is headed to Lafayette. One of the strange deals this year, and it, it, uh, Coach Gillespie and I, who was the head coach at UCL, we were talking about that last week. Also, a couple of the uh, uh, conference uh, administrators about UCF not not being in the uh, uh, Florida regional. They are they're moving out um, for the first time in about three or four years, which is which is good for them because with you uh, South Florida. Being in that position. So do you, do you see where Fannie went? Um, they the team that won that. Hold on. I have it here. I have it here. And as you look for that. FAMU went, uh, uh, they, well, I take that back. I didn't look at this bracket right. South Florida went to Florida State. Okay. And UCF, along with, uh, with FAMU, went to Florida. Okay. So they're in Gainesville along with Stetson. Okay. Uh, so South, is Baylor the only team in Texas? Baylor is, Yes, they are the only team in Texas. Whew. You know that that's that's hosting in the state of Texas. That's hosting the uh, region. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because Oklahoma, because uh, A and M went A and M went to Oklahoma to to play, and that's going to be interesting because Oklahoma is the uh, defending champion. Oh yeah, that's gonna be, you know, and, 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 and Oklahoma and Texas A and M. It's going it's right gonna be, behind that Texas A and Texas. They don't like each other. No, no. Now we come to softball. That's for sure. Uh, you know, because they. Oh yeah, it, it's it's gonna be yeah. on. And Hofstra and Bryant are the other two schools that's in the. Uh, yeah, let's be some good actors. Let's take a moment of this, listeners. Let me just pause and have you think about what you just heard. And I'm not done yet on this podcast. We talked about APR in detail. Now we're talking about softball in detail, and we're not done because trust me, I have a few things before we. We wind, we wrap it up. That I want to get my colleagues to uh, get their thoughts on real quickly. But Wildcats, you got it once again, sir. Louisville senior Katie Keller, second baseman for the Louisville Cardinals, was the most valuable player. She also picked up this week was uh, national player of the week in USA softball, and she's the leader. The coach uh, uh, Pearsall. Talked about her in detail in the uh, post uh, post interview, which you can just see at AKSVDCSR blogspot.com. Uh, 
talk about it. Yeah, Wildcat Man, he, he impressed people this, these last few days with, with uh, his presence. Really? First of all, being there because, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, there was no other media there. No. No. Let me say that one more time. No. Correct me if I'm wrong, sir. You were the only media person there in H-Town because the softball tournament was on was on what campus? Cougar Field. University of Houston. Correct. Yes. So in town. In, on the corner of Eldon and Scott. No excuse. So that's all I'm going to say with that. I was there. A couple of dingers were knocked out, too, on Friday. And it rained. Literally. <laughs> but fire out. Oh, but, yeah. So the Wildcat yeah. is the college sports reporter. So yeah, much respect. Much respect to him. Uh, we're going to talk real quick as we go into our second hour here of this podcast. Donald Sterling went on foot CNN mouth, foot mouth, foot mouth. with Anderson Cooper. Foot and mouth. It said some really asinine things about Magic Johnson. I don't want to discuss all that. But the look. Doc, the look on Anderson Cooper's face. Wildcat once again listening. believes that it's going to be a lengthy legal battle. What do you say to that? I don't think it's going to be very lengthy. I think uh, everybody believes that they have a case. First of all, I think the with the players really pushing it, uh-huh. I'm having one voice, um, that the owners are going to vote against it. And one thing I know about Sterling, people talk about the fact that he's Litigants. Yeah, I'm listening. But the, what people don't really think about when you do that is usually he does that because he knows he has the money and the power. I'm listening. You're talking about NBA that has more money and more power than him. He understands. And he's looking at his lawyers, but I'm telling you, his lawyers are letting him know that it's going to cost quite a bit to fight this case. And they're telling him his chance to win this. He's not going to waste that type of money. And your He's retort to that is, Wildcat? Well, okay. He's not going to waste that type of money. Billionaires don't get to where they are without fighting. This and, is and, not your ordinary billionaire. I understand. He made money not necessarily in regards to how smart and intuitive he was in terms of making moves. He made money in regards to being sound in terms of his investment. That's two different things. That's not your new traditional billionaire. This is an old school billionaire that hedged his bet, and he did that on the base of his friend, Bus, that was owner of the Lakers. He told him to get in there, and his money, because of what everybody else did in terms of the business of sports, grew to that level. He has some investments in terms of housing. This is a guy that has never sold one thing. I'm missing. He's never made one sale. Trust me when I tell you, I truly believe he's not going to fight this when it comes down. Do you and the reason is, is he doesn't want to waste his spend that money. Now, with that being said, now all of a sudden, family folks are starting to open up their mouth and all these decisions. Well, are they, are they, are they are, are, is the family going to go sideways? Let me, say, yeah, the family is trying to set themselves up. 
such that they can get ownership. And, I, and I understand that. But that's what, I and, let me, and let me say, they don't and let me say yeah, this. That, and I told everybody before right. it even came out and in the me, masses. We said that here. I told everybody, if you understand, the family does not control right. in okay. terms of the majority ownership. I told everybody that would listen to me. You can go back in the last podcast. I tried to tell you that that's not going to work. But everybody gets excited and they listen to all these other little shows that are just trying to say something and they're not really doing their homework. They just get excited because they pick up on some things and, and all they hear is people with Sue and all this stuff. But you got to do your homework. And if you listen, the one thing he said, which I have to say this before I get out, that he was disgraceful. Oh, yeah. But there was one component that he said. He, he didn't believe the owners would vote him out. But he also said if they did, that he didn't think he would be moving forward. If you go back and that, That's it, true. He said that. Probably one of the only <laughs> saying incoherent things he said in the, in the damn interview. But I will finish up on this note when I say that. Was, probably what people he was it. disgraceful, and from my opinion, when you have an individual that has a platform to show remorse and provide a sincere, unequivocal apology, that he took the opportunity to disparage another individual because of, in my opinion, pure jealousy, and that he was angry at this individual, that he able to celebrate who he is while he can. And if you know anything about what you heard about in the past, one of the reasons he loves the team is he likes to be in the limelight. This is the guy that would literally bring women and his other people in the locker room and say, look at these bodies over his shower and talk about how big and strong they look. So he was very disturbed in many ways too, not just um, an ugly person. Uh, but it really shows, in my opinion, the heartless soullessness and lack of mindful thinking of this individual. And so it's difficult for, for me to hear people try to celebrate who he is and try to find a way to show that he's righteous and that things that he says is right. It's just disgraceful that we have individuals that think of this matter. But one thing I was glad, I'm glad that he spoke up because he showed the world who he was, and more importantly, he showed the league and he showed the players, and the players are standing up. So everybody else can say what they want, even if they do agree with him. The fact becomes that the bottom line, this is a bottom line business, and when those players said enough was enough, the commissioner realized where he was, and in my opinion, whether it was based on financial bottom line or personal thing, we don't know this, he did the right thing, and he's moving forward doing the right thing. And real quick, if anybody's wondering about, well, what about Shelly Sterling, the wife? I guess kind of the wife of... She's still his wife. She's still, she's still legally, his wife. She's still his wife, yeah. She's still his wife. Yeah, she claims she's going to do all Yeah. Things. Quote from yeah, NBA spokesman Mike Bass. There you go, Doc. Quote from the spokesman Mike Bass. Under the NBA Constitution, which Doc did a great job of mentioning and discussing in our previous podcast, this one, if a controlling owner's interest is terminated by a three-quarter vote, all other team owners' interests are automatically terminated as well. It doesn't matter whether the owners are related, as is the case here. These are the rules which all NBA owners agree to as condition of owning their team. End quote. And as I shared last week, this is nothing new. People try to act like this is new and un-American. People join 
fast food franchises all the time. If you do things outside of the bylaws, they don't have to be illegal. They can just be outside of general best practice and more aptitude of the bylaws of the franchise. You know what the franchise is going to do? They're going to take your franchise. Now, they can't take your financial investment. You'll get that back. But they're going to take your franchise. That's why they call them franchises in India. They're not sole proprietorship. You join and have the right because the collective body, which is part of the collective bargaining agreement, and the reason why the NBA and other sports franchises have these laws that protect them in terms of some of the things they do is the fact that they agreed to join them. The other place that you see this, you see this in corporations. When corporations decide to join the stock market and taking on investors, you have chairmen that are founders of their own company that have literally been voted off of their chairman position because people disagree with what they have done and the stock goes down on the company, it pushes them out. Nothing new, but people don't want to see this for what it is. And finally, for those that are members of fraternities and sororities, you see this all the time when people do things against the bylaws of the fraternity or sorority. No matter that they paid their money, they're moving out. They're voted out. Shifting gears here. I'm going to read this quote, and y'all give me, y'all, once I say the quote, you know who, I'm, who, who said this, and give me your take on this. Quote, I just look at my career. I've only been to the playoffs twice. I think we've only had three winning seasons. I don't think any player wants to experience that. I think over time it can become very frustrating. And this offseason has been very frustrating for me. Beginning of the offseason, I should say. That's just kind of where I'm at right now, end quote. You know what? Gentlemen. You know, it's, it's, he's, I he, 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 I agree with him. And I agree with him to the point that. Uh, for those of you who don't know that he, is, that's Andre Johnson, Andre, Texas wide receiver. And I, and I agree with him. He didn't, he didn't say it directly, but he should have been consulted. Somewhat on this draft, but yeah, and I said, I said, somewhat. I didn't that say that shows you the power between what's done in baseball and what's done in the NBA versus what is done in the NFL. Yeah, the players have coalesced for too long, and that's why they don't have any power. They don't care what they think, and non-guaranteed contract unless, is one of those, unless the owner. Really, in support of him, his contract's too big to be moved. Yeah. So he can do all that he wants, but unfortunately for him, he's stuck. He's stuck. And the worst part about this is folks are looking at this situation, new coach, new regime, new scheme. And they talking about they're not re they rebuilding. And the worst they part just about don't it. don't want to say the word. The worst part about it, nobody. On that coaching staff, it's going to overlook their mouth and go to the owner and say, can you make something happen? Because Andre is a person in that locker room, period, that everybody's going to listen to when he, sp when he speaks to his uh, when he And he's spoken in a soft voice. He hasn't spoken in a loud voice. Well, I think he was smart while there's some people frustrated. He didn't request a trade. He didn't request a trade. He just said, he I want this. He put it out there that he was frustrated 
about what's going on. So, and he said he talked to the Texans about it. So he's trying to put it out there in a very strategic manner uh, to make them look at some options. But I just think financially it's not going to be feasible. But he, So he gives his position a place to come back without it totally being a negative situation. That's why he did it like that. But I don't think he's going to keep that. One, one more thing, as, as we've discussed a fantastic podcast that's well-versed here, it's another quote, but this is via the Twitterverse. <laughs> is it a real quote or a, a Twitterverse uh, quote? No, no, it's, I'm, I mean, kind of, I mean, tweet, I, this person I, tweeted it. I mean, so, <laughs> we see them all the time. This person tweeted it, so I'm just going to read the tweet. Okay. All right. Alright. The question was, what's the greatest weakness you think this team needs to address? And the person's answer is, we get a top 10 defense to go along with our dynamic offense. Who said that? Next person also said this, we also have the youngest team in the playoffs, so we will get better with an extra year of experience. Second point, I think. Same person said that. Really? Same person said we got the youngest team in the playoffs, and also we needed to get a top ten defense to go along with it, to go along with our dynamic offense. Next, same person said this. It's got to be pride. How will right you now. improve yeah. the team? Answer: We have cap flexibility, mid-level exception, and all our first-round picks going forward. That's football. Yeah, that is football. Incorrect. Really? That's Daryl Morey. Of the Houston Rockets. Yeah, they do have a cap now. Now, but the flexibility. And and, and I don't, I don't think they had a flexibility. Not to, not to discuss. We had the other week. Go ahead, they, they, he believes he does. He, he believes not, he does because he's probably the, the hoping, discussion we had. He's assuming that somebody's going to take Jerry Malin or Omar Six Hundred off their hands. Yeah. And and I, it, well, I go he, back to my point. What we had discussed he, last week. He just didn't believe it. He he knows. He knows it. He's probably knows. thinking that's ball. The question is just how he wants to move those chips. Now, but he knows he can get them. Apparently, he's, that means he's had the discussion and somebody's showed him interest. That's why he's saying that. Now, with that being said, will it be three teams involved or four? Like he because normally that's what he does. He does a multiple team situation to get the numbers and all in the in the, yeah. in the players around. He, he's, whatever fits. Because it gives what he wants now. Give me three, four. And, that, and I go back. I, that's why I'm going back to that that first comment out of Les Alexander's mouth about the Clippers. Turn them all loose and be a because he and Daryl Morley wants one guy off that squad. George. They, he wants that big body. He ain't coming. Young Jordan ain't going nowhere. No, you don't. He have no. to get away the phone. They all become free agents. That, that, that ain't happening. That's why they already made the move. Did you see, they done brought the CEO from City in there. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm, I'm like, like, talking about like, I'm looking at Les. Les, Les got that. Never before <laughs> the decision was made. Les was saying that. Now he knows that's not off the table because they're moving forward. As, as people can say all they want about Donald Sterling, and, and the list is looking at for the Rockets, yeah, it, 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 and I don't blame him. I don't, no, blame, I don't blame him on this, but I'm saying he also made that comment before a decision was oh, made. Oh, by yeah. The yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So now that it's made, I think if he had to restate his comment, it'd be different because he understands 
that Donald Sterling is out, so there's really not going to be a change in that franchise in terms of player movement because they're going to be comfortable with the decision that's made. They're going to move forward with it. And I think it's going to be sooner than later. And then you up on the NBA. When, when does the uh, free agency and uh, movement and all get started Mid-July. and how long? Mid-July. They have a moratorium of, of a few days and they leave and crush the numbers and announce the salary cap biggest reach, you know, for the each team, and then teams teams can begin go talking to yeah. free agents. They can't sign free agents until the moratorium ends, but mid-July. How much will the uh, increment increase be this time around? A few weeks ago, there was an early talk that the salary cap was going up about $5 million, surprisingly. So, uh, Surprising, significant jump. So it's, it's a big jump. So that will allow teams to uh, make more moves. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. So, uh, yeah. wrap it up. A couple things. One, my Pistons have a new president and head basketball coach, Stan Van Gundy. And so does Got him a fat, fat contract of five years, $35 million. Let me say that slowly. Five years, $35 million. But he transformed. He's got two positions, though. Right. Transformed my woe-be-gone franchise into a respectable and then ultimately a championship franchise, and uh, they will get there as long as Andre, Andre Drummond continues to develop, and they build around that big man who's very, very talented. And this afternoon, heck, this evening before the podcast began, who else got a Steve job? Kerr turned down Phil Jackson, big chief triangle in the Knicks, to become head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Hey, Five he years, got a situation. $25 million. He got a ready-made situation. The numbers spoke. They didn't want to match it. And they didn't want to give it's sad that they were only offered three years. They agreed to go to four years, but earlier today. But the Warriors went five years, and the Knicks weren't going to do that. So the Knicks are. I'm kind of curious now to what Phil's going to do. Well, if he comes out of that out of out of the front office and decides to become head coach, he might hire. Let's see, somebody from his coaching tree, like Jim Clemens, somebody like that, if, if he gets to a last resort point, who's been on his staff before. Well, um, you know, in Denver. Oh, Brian he's Shaw? Just, yeah, Brian Shaw. He's doing what? This is second year? Right. So, so uh, let's see. Wrap it up. The Miami Heat advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals for the fourth year in a row. They beat the Brooklyn Nets by two points this evening. Wow, that's Behind a close game. Ray Allen's three. They were actually down at like Whoa. nine or 11 at the end of the third quarter. Wow. They made a huge rally and uh, Good Ray fight. Allen did it again. Good Jesus fight. Shuttlesworth once again comes through. Good fight. Uh, the Spurs are trying to to uh, eliminate the Trailblazers. The Blazers showed pride in Game Four by winning Game Four after being embarrassed in the first three games of the semifinal series, which really made the Rockets' elimination in the first round look even worse. Since the uh, you can see how the Blazers struggle against a team that plays defense and a more balanced offense. But I digress on that. I think all three of us still are sticking with the Spurs Heat yep. NBA Finals matchup. Yep. That's not going to change. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you as, as always for a fantastic discussion in this podcast. I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review website, HoustonRoundBallReview.com, Houston Round Ball Review on YouTube, Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram. A little different on Twitter. It's VHR Review on Twitter. Thank you for the new followers I get there, the retweets as well. You can look for the podcast we posted on iTunes in uh, shortly. 
um, as well as SoundCloud.com. Get followers from international perspective on SoundCloud.com. The podcast will also be available on our podcast on Facebook podcast page. Excuse me, my Facebook fan page, KG Fifth Wildcat and Doc's Facebook fan page. Once we get in a better routine this summer, this off season, we'll start seeking questions uh, on Facebook. Uh, so you can post questions there. Thank you as always. We're starting to pick up uh, more and more listeners. I'm getting closer and closer to the World Cup. And we're going to have my, my coworker discuss the World Cup with us. We'll figure out how to work that if I have to interview him at work. And we'll just splice it into the our podcast. We'll, we'll make it work. So uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion. The group of death. The U.S. men national team. We'll talk about how their chances are to get at least to the round of 16, hopefully. Outdoors will have to show up. So, and, and, yes, definitely. Oh, uh, I know we're going to ask a you, because a, a question came up. The team as it is right now is just for the opening round. Uh, Who's the 30? Yeah. They have to pair it down. They got to pair it down 23. Yeah, they got to pair it down. Now, that team will go, that, go that, to the World group, Cup. Who should have been on this, uh, on the, in his opening, in these, these opening games that didn't make it that you think that, that should have just, just off we we gonna leave that as a tease. We gonna bring, we we need more time. So we gonna bring. Yeah, we talk. Yeah, we we discuss that later work, on. Work, work for me. Work for me because the I'm question came up. Out, Qu- question came up. I will have it because Landon Donovan is part of thirty. Okay, so don't don't forget that. So he is he is, he is part of thirty. His name right. his name was. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I got other folks in mind, but yeah. Yeah. So, World Cup is uh, roughly a month away, I believe, right? Yeah. So yeah, and Brazil is not. Brazil is Brazil. So I didn't know that about that. No, I'm talking about this. The, the, They're still not ready with stadium-wise. That, you know, they, they, so that's going to be yeah, an issue. They, 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 the they, problem they have is more on the Olympic side. They, they're pretty good. There's issues they have with the World Cup, but they should be all right. Yep, yeah, they'll make that work for, for the World Olympics Cup. Where they have the Olympics with other venues, that's a whole other problem. Oh, yeah. I'm not even good because that. And that I was, guess if I need to get off my behind, I need to get a passport and see if I can talk to my friend when you with UC basketball by getting a passport to cover. <laughs> you better make sure you take Aaron Doc with you because uh, I'm not going yeah, down going. there. I, I can't go down there anymore. Go to Brazil in, in 16. I have my passport. So I hope so. I can't and go I kind of use some lean on you to get that done because I, I got a friend and she's asked me about doing it before so I need to make that happen. I, I can't go to Rio cover, anymore. Cover basketball. So, uh, and it was said to right there. So we can do that. We look forward to that two years from now. But the World Cup is next month. Thank you once again for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. I wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.